0: This morning, I want to direct your attention to one or Christmas passage. I know you've probably packed up Christmas, or at least you wish that you had packed up Christmas. But uh, somebody forgot to tell the Magi that Christmas was over. It took them a while to get to Bethlehem, and we're going to consider the Magi this morning from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Would you hear now the Word of God? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means among the least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 5 and 6, we see the words Judea, Judah, and Judah three times. Matthew's telling us something about this Jesus, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Davidic king from Bethlehem. Then Herod, verse 7, secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. The star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child and Mary child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Would you pray with me? God, help us to see in the Magi this morning the hope of the gospel afresh. And as we encounter the fresh hope of the Gospel, help us, God, to to model the faithfulness of the Magi, to respond to Your grace, and to bow before Your King, before Your Majesty and Your Royalty, and to find joy therein. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well. On December 26th, most radio stations stop playing Christmas music. Some people hasten to get their Christmas lights and decorations and all the toy packaging and boxes down and out of the house as quickly as possible. I don't know what it is about toy packaging, but if Santa Claus were real, he would get the toys out of the packaging and under the tree with no packaging. For many of us, it's, it's time to move on to the next thing. But, you know, somebody forgot to tell the Magi. We don't know how the Magi... We don't know how many Magi there were. In our, in our song, We Three Kings, that's not in the Bible, right? It, it's just Magi plural. There's, there's some Magi, and they go to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, and they traveled perhaps up to a thousand miles. If so... If they made that kind of a journey, there was likely more than three of them. Because to make that kind of travel, you usually travel in a group that was more than three. But here's the question. Why do the magi follow this star hundreds of miles while the chief priests and scribes think nothing of it? Herod summons the chief priests and the scribes to figure out well where is this king supposed to be born, but nobody's concerned about the star. But there's these magi from the east... Who are? I want, I want to suggest to you this morning that they were uh, familiar with a, small, at least a small portion of the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of Balak and Balaam in numbers? Chapters 22 through 24. Numbers recounts the journey of God's people from Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land. And as they journeyed, the Israelites grew in power and in might. And Balak, the king of Moab, Moab, was shaken in his boots. He's frightened. And so he calls Balaam, who is, get this, a magi, a magician, and a seer. And where does he call Balaam from? From the eastern mountains. To do what? To pronounce a curse on the house of Jacob and the people of Israel. But do you remember every time... Balaam tries to stand before the people of God and to curse them. God will not let him do it. He makes it clear that God is going to make Balaam bless the Israelites rather than to curse them. And in Balaam's last oracle, here is what we read in part. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter, meaning a king, one who rules with the scepter, shall rise in Israel. He goes on to say that all the nations he will, all the nations, will be his possession. So the Magi follow God's star to Jerusalem to ask where the king is. And they go to Jerusalem because it had been the capital city of the Israelites. It had been where their temple was located. It is where one would expect to find a king of the Jews. But for now, Jesus is in Bethlehem where Joseph and Mary have upgraded from the inn to a house. Do you see that in verse 11? So apparently they hang out in Bethlehem for a while. As Platt writes, the shepherds were long gone. And maybe many months had passed before the wise men ever showed up. So we've got to revisit our nativity scenes, right? We've got to put the shepherds there for a few days or a few minutes and then march them back out to the fields And then we march the wise men in later with their treasures. They're not all there at the same time, apparently. And though the Magi are late to the Christmas party, the Magi teach us some very important truths. I mean, think about it. The only thing they had was this prophecy of a star in the land of Jacob. And I imagine that it's passed down for generations as they continue to practice their magic and their soothsaying and whatever else they did. But there's this promise... And this, there was this seer way back here who could not curse this people. And there's going to be a star that's going to rise. And one day when that star rises, we better pay attention. And they paid attention. The first thing we need to notice in this text is that Jesus will have the worship of people from all nations. The second thing we need to notice is when the nations are led to, re- led to Jesus, they rejoice. And finally, seeing Jesus leads us to genuine worship and radical generosity that declares who Jesus is. Let's not miss the significance of this story this morning. In a gospel written to convince the Jews that Jesus is their Messiah, the first people to worship Him are Gentiles from the East. Praise God, from Roanoke, Virginia, that Gentiles get in on the blessing of Christmas. In Scripture, the east is the direction that the disobedient people go. Adam and Eve sin and they're cast east of the garden. Cain kills Abel and he's cast east. Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to be delivered by God's grace and he goes east of the city. So here we find Gentiles in the east being shown the way back to the Savior. Matthew's point is that Christ has come to rescue Gentiles, the disobedient, magicians and sorcerers and philosophers and sinners, sinners like you and me, and that is good news. It's such good news that in the traditional church calendar, the church celebrates the coming of the Magi to Christ on Epiphany, January 6, which is a feast commemorating the Magi's visit to Jesus And Jesus' physical manifestation to the Gentiles. You see, like the Hebrew people in Matthew's day, we need to remember, Church of God, that Jesus deserves the worship of all nations. And He has come to those who are far from God. Why would we endeavor To make our space as appealing as possible to as many people as possible. Because God has come for the peoples of the world. The mission of God to sinners is something that God has left His church to continue. From now until Christ returns, God leads us, as Paul says in Philippians 2.15, to shine like stars in the world so that like the Magi wandering over hundreds of miles of dry and desolate terrain, sinners who are wandering in a dry and weary land even this morning might be drawn to Christ through His people to give Him the worship that He deserves. And one of the ways that we can cooperate with God as he leads sinners to Christ, is by making the most of the space that God has entrusted to us. It's certainly not the only way. It's not even the primary way. It is part of the way. And in the plan that I shared with you this morning, just a few moments ago, there is so much that we can accomplish together. Debt is eliminated so that we can invest more in our community. Parents of preschoolers and children find hope in spaces and in the faces of friendly volunteers in a bright and modern and secure technologically current area for their kids, including a playground. Preschool and children's workers can cross-train and more easily cover for one another in the event of sickness because both areas are on one level. If you if you don't believe this is important, ask Lynn Wampler what it's like when somebody can't show up to cover preschool and she's upstairs trying to cover kids and she's got to bounce back and forth between two spaces. When you get those spaces united and you have a central hub for managing what's going on in both directions... It's going to maximize our ministry and make things much more efficient. The sanctuary is modernized and expanded to allow for significant growth without any parking reduction. The gym, by the way, under that scenario, becomes consistently available on Saturdays for community and church use. Right now, we, we mark off Saturday. Why? Because we don't want to inconvenience the Sunday school classes in terms of the time that they pick to set chairs up in the, in the gymnasium. For Sunday. One of the best days to use a gym in your community to reach people is Saturday. Are are y'all with me? All right. Finally, space is available for additional adult small groups under these scenarios. So why would we do these things? Ultimately, we would do these things because of what Platt says about these verses. The global purpose of God is the glad praise of Christ among the peoples of the world. We want the peoples of the world to encounter Christ and to know the joy that they find in beholding Him. Which is exactly what the Magi show us. Do you see that in verse 10? Do you see what they do in verse 10? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When the star went on before them and stood over the place where the child was, verse 9, they rejoiced. And they didn't just rejoice, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, how many superlatives can you add? It wasn't just rejoicing, it was exceeding rejoicing. It wasn't just just a little bit of rejoicing, it was rejoicing with joy. It wasn't just exceeding rejoicing with joy, it was exceeding rejoicing with joy that was great. There's no greater joy than they found that, that God was leading them to His King. And I hope in hearing these things that you're a little bit excited, not because Jesus is found in a renovation project, but because Jesus is on mission to the ends of the earth. And I hope that you can see how eliminating debt and leveraging our space connects to the mission of God in our community and around the world. The purpose of any plans that we have now or future, the, any, pl- any plans that we may have or pursue, is the joy of the nations in beholding Christ And the joy that we have in being a part of God's leading others to behold His Son. a joy it is. It's the greatest joy anyone will ever have. Beholding Christ the King. So to reach millennial mothers and fathers, who have, by the way, a much different vision of what an appropriate preschool space should be than our parents did in times past. We have some improvements to To have room for significant growth and to make the most of 21st century technologies in our worship. We have some improvements to make. To maximize our annual budget for the glory of God, we have some debt to eliminate. Why? Because if God will put a star in the heavens to show the way to Christ, surely we can put some paint on some walls and make a bright and cheery and logical space for preschoolers and children to play and learn the gospel along the way if god is inviting sinners sinners to encounter christ the church of christ should be a place that communicates god's invitation with excellence and joy do you believe that 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 if God is inviting sinners to encounter Christ and He would put a star in the heavens that the Gentiles might be drawn to Him, that the church should be a place that is putting forward her very best with excellence and joy to say, come behold the King that we know. As Platt writes, God invites the Magi and He invites you to see His Son and to joyfully offer your life as a worshiper. The people of God should regardless of their personality, I love this, Some of y'all are introverted. Some of y'all are quiet. Some of y'all don't like to get too excited. You'd never go to Cracker Barrel to eat because it's too loud. Look at what Platt says. He's exactly right. It doesn't matter your personality. It doesn't matter if you're an ENTJ or an ISTJ or FJ or whatever you are. It doesn't matter. When you encounter Christ and you see that God has led you to behold His Son, it should lead you to smile and to sing and lift your hands and get excited. For the King has come. You say, well, that sounds a little bit too Pentecostal for me. Well, get over it. It does not make sense to go to church and be bored. It doesn't make sense. God sent His Son to save you. And you're bored? God help us. We need to be a place of joy and gratitude. God help us. You say, "Okay, pastor, that sounds great, but what's the strategy? Is this really possible?" I don't know. But I know with I know with God it's possible. And I know that I've been waiting to show this to you because I've been thinking, well, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough people, we don't have enough resources. And over the last few weeks, as I've seen people flooding into this place to to be a part of the Advent season and to celebrate the gift of Christmas, God has been convicting me. You don't withhold from God's people what God can do. And so I'm just putting it out there. And if God's people respond, God's people respond. It'll be, it'll be evidenced in our, our weekly offerings. If we want to do this, all we've got to do is exceed the budget and we'll get there. It's, it's really not that hard. All we've got to do is share the gospel, see people come to Christ, and we will slowly but surely have the resources available to do this. We must not compromise our current ministry for the possibilities of the future. We've got to keep doing ministry right now. But I do believe... That if God gets a hold of us, and if we get this vision of who Christ is, we'll just wait on God and see what God does. Because with God, all things are possible. Finally, thirdly, the Magi show us that seeing Jesus leads us to genuine worship and radical generosity that declares who Jesus is. In a few moments we'll conclude our worship, not only for this service, but for 2017 with the opportunity to respond through generous giving. When the Magi come to Jesus, what do these high-ranking travelers from afar do? Like the elders in Revelation 5 gathered around the throne, they fall face down and give honor to this king. Think about it. These eminent men from the east, these nobles of nations, are bowing down and worshiping a baby. Oh, let me see him for a second. Give him a little... Let me burp him. Give him a love tap. Rub his head. he look more like his mama or his dad? In this case, it would have had to have been his mama. They, They don't do that. They cut the small talk and they just worship Jesus. Like these powerful, influential men of Matthew 2, we should be overwhelmed, bowing down in homage and in humble worship. We give to Christ the extravagant offering of our lives, everything that we have and everything that we are, and we know The worship of the Magi is genuine, not only because they fall down and worship in the presence of a baby, but because they open up their treasures, their storehouses, their pocketbooks, their wallets, their purses, their bank accounts, and they bring an extravagant and costly offering. It's an offering from the people of the nations that Isaiah told us about all the way back in Isaiah 60 verse 6. When he said, a multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense. And will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. This is the biblical pattern. Exceeding gladness in being invited to see Jesus leads to earnest worship in the presence of Jesus, which leads to extravagant giving that declares the worth of Jesus. Did you see that? That's worth writing down. Being invited to behold Jesus leads to gladness. There's a hope that God is showing me the way. He's put His star in the heavens and there's hope. And the, the hope leads to gladness. Then you encounter Christ, and it leads you to worship Him. And when you see the infinite worth of the one that you worship, it always leads to generous giving. This is the biblical pattern. In the Old Testament, gold is often associated with royalty, especially the reign of King Solomon. King Solomon couldn't handle the wealth of the nations, but Jesus can. In the Old Testament, frankincense was used in the incense at the tabernacle where God met with Moses. It was also put on offerings along with oil to produce a fragrant aroma in God's presence. If the gift of gold declares that Jesus is King, the gift of frankincense declares that Jesus is God, the one who makes it possible for us to enjoy God's presence and to offer ourselves to Him in devoted and joyous worship because He came to offer Himself for us, he is frankincense. He is the way we can encounter the, the presence of God. And finally, the Magi bring myrrh, which is the spice that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used to prepare Jesus' body for burial. You see, when the Magi come to worship their king, they tell us that he's king, that he's God, and that he has come to die for us. The Magi declare that Jesus is not just deity, He is also humanity. And as man, He will offer Himself in the place of sinful men. As Matthew Henry writes, All that have found Christ fall down before Him. They adore Him and submit themselves to Him. He is Thy Lord and we must give up all that we have to Jesus Christ. And if we be sincere in the surrender of ourselves to Him... We shall not be unwilling to part with what is dearest to us and most valuable to Him and for Him. So what's the strategy as we enter 2018? Keep delighting in the same old story. Keep singing and preaching and proclaiming the gospel and ask of Him that He would give us the joy of our salvation. That our exceeding gladness would not be superficial but it would be substantial. That it would give rise to genuine worship and extravagant giving that declares to our community and the watching world that Christ is worthy of all that we have and all that we are because nothing is impossible with God. Not even that He would save a sinner like me. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we prepare to respond to what You've shown us this morning in this text of Scripture. We pray, God, that we would respond like the Magi, that in beholding Jesus, Lord, that we would be motivated, that we would be uh, prone to great joy, that we would be prone to great worship, and God, that You would lead us, as the Magi do, not to give begrudgingly, but to give graciously and joyously because of the Christ who's come for us we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. This morning as we close, we have the opportunity to meditate on this text and to do these four things. Pray, live out and share the gospel. Right, none of this is going to happen if we don't live the gospel. Thirdly, worship the king with Gifts that declare His worth. And we'll do that as we give this morning as I invite our ushers to come. And then finally wait. You say, when are we going to do this? I have no idea. But the Lord will make it clear when we're ready and at that time we will go.